0: Go ahead and subscribe, and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in, and be blessed.
1: Now for the ladies and for the mothers in particular, I know it's Mother's Day, but please don't take offense to this, all right? All right, at the end of the day, Paul says in Galatians, there is neither male nor female in Christ. God doesn't distinguish between the two. The church for years has said women can help serve, women can pray, uh, they can even lay down the blankets when people pass out under the anointing. But women can't preach. Women can't lead. And Paul says in Galatians, in Christ, there's neither male nor female. All right? Let's raise women back up to the place where they should be. So there's neither male nor female. God makes no distinction between the two. But also, on the the back end of that, know this. What was I talking about? Sons. On the back end of that, for men who like to say that we are sons of God, all right, the Bible actually doesn't use the term daughters of God. He does use the word son, but he doesn't use the word daughters. Now, let's be biblically accurate as much as we can. Yes, you are a woman. You are a daughter of the Most High God. And in fact, the Bible calls women daughters of Sarah, believers, daughters of Sarah. And don't forget, Sarah was beautiful in her old age. All right. So all the women are beautiful in your old age. And everyone said, Amen. there you go. All right. <laughs> so that said, knowing that he doesn't say daughters of God, he does say daughters of Sarah. But when he talks about being a child of God, he says sons. Now, for men, it's nothing to you know, puff our chest up. You're, I'm a son of God. Because, hey, look, you're also the bride of Christ. <laughs> no amens from that. All right. <laughs> For all the men, we are the bride of Christ. So again, in God's eyes, there's no distinction between gender. God doesn't distinguish between the two. So in this service, I'm not going to use the term daughters of God. Is that okay? All right, we'll use the term sons because that's the term that God uses. Okay? Now, knowing that the Lord said this, because you are a son of God, you are a son, you should expect to be treated as such. You should expect to be treated like a son. Now, I can show you more what that means in just a moment. But I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor, um, at the time, the Lord was impressing on me, you're a son. You're a son. And you should expect me and the rest of the world to treat you like a son. Now, at the time, I was still very, very immature. My my tag on my car was out of date by like a year. My registration was out by like a year. And I had gone across Charlotte to go meet a friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine. And on the way back, I was on 77. And on the way back, all of a sudden, his car swerves behind me, and it was dark. It was nighttime. The words behind me, and I thought, that's a please. So I get over one more lane, and he moves behind me again. I said, oh, God. So next exit, hit the exit, I come off. And I come off the exit, and as soon as I came off the exit, he turns his lights on. So I pull over, and my first thought was praying the Spirit. So I started praying, this, oh, God. And, I pray- and all of a sudden, the, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me again and said, hey, you're a son. Expect to be treated like a son. son. So I said, you're right. I'm a son. I expect to be treated like a son. So the guy walks up, the, the officer walks up, he knocks on you know, a uh, license registration. I hand it to him. He says, You know, your tag is out of date. I said, Yes, sir, I know it is. He said, Okay, I'll be right back. He walks away, he comes back, and all of a sudden, you know, you, I'm terrified and so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna need a ticket. I, Lord, I can't get paid for another ticket. I, you know. This is the young me, okay? Don't judge. So he said, I'm terrified, and he comes back, and he comes back. He says, Yeah, just get that taken care of, sir. Don't worry about it. It's like, for real? He said, Yeah, don't worry about it. And at the time, this is a detail you didn't need to know, but I really had to use the bathroom. I said, hey, quick, quick question. He came back, do you know where the nearest restroom is? Oh, yeah, just get off on the next steps, and go up that way and take it. I was like, sweet. You know, so it was one of those times where, again, you say, well, would God have moved anyways? But, you know, there's something about when you have a revelation of Jesus that things start working that didn't always work before. In churches where no one talks about healing, healing doesn't happen. But in churches where people talk about healing, guess what happens? Yeah. Healing. In churches where people don't talk about miracles miracles don't happen but in places where people talk about miracles guess what happens miracles so in a church where we talk about you are a son of God you are in the son of God guess what should happen the world should be treating you like you are a child of God you are the son you are in the son of God and you know when Jesus was on earth he was the only son that existed now let me say it like this in the story of the prodigal son when the bad son came back home On his way home, he said to himself, my father has many hired servants, many hired servants. And when he came home over the hill, his father hugged him and kissed him and brought him back in the house. Right. But on his way in the house, the Bible says the older brother was in the field acting like a servant. Now, watch this. Servants sow. Servants reap. Servants bring the harvest back into the house. If you are a son. Where are you at? You're where? In the house. That means you're reaping something that someone else is sowing. Are you with me? You are reaping something that someone else is sowing. God does not want more servants. He wants more sons. He doesn't need more servants. Bless you. He doesn't need more servants. He has plenty of servants. He needs more sons. And you are in the son. So expect the world to treat you like a son. So are you ready for the word? Let's open up in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, now in the book of Matthew, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 5, from Matthew chapter 7, and uh, I'm going to deviate just a moment from preaching to, uh, to teaching. This is a really cool fact I thought you might like. I won't say it. Anyways. Matthew chapter 5, all the way to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is sitting on a mountain. We were at that mountain, and he gives the Mount of Beatitudes. He gives the Sermon on the Mount. They call that the Mount of Beatitudes. Now, while while he's giving that sermon, in that message from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7, those two chapters, Jesus uses the term Father 14 times. Interesting number, 14 times. That's seven and seven. When you look at all 14 times, Jesus uses the word Abba, all right, uses the word Father. Only two of those times reference our needs. Are you with me? Now, for example, he'll say something like this. Uh, When people are bad to you, you be good to them and you'll be perfect or mature as your father in heaven is. It's always a speculative. uh, uh, You'll be like your father. Your father likes when you do these things. But when it comes to your specific needs, I have a need. He talks about the father in two places. Matthew chapter six and also um, Matthew chapter six and in Matthew chapter seven. Now, why am I telling you this? How does this help me Monday to Friday? Right. I'll explain when it comes to your needs. He doesn't reference God as God. He references him as your father. Are you with me? Take, for example, Parker. And let's say, for example, Parker. This morning, Parker's three years old. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Parker, you need to walk. You don't need me to hold you anymore. You need to walk. You need to walk into the... But you know what? Parker's three, and he's my son. And the lights are off, and the music is loud, and he's, daddy, hold me. Now, part of me is like, I have things to do. I need you to walk. But the other part of me is going, but he's your son. Now, because he's my son, I'll pick him up. But if Tiki comes to me and says, Matthew, you're not my father, but you know, it's dark and it's loud, can you hold me? Can you stand up real quick? He <laughs> stand up real quick? Come on, stand up. If he comes and you're not my father, okay, let's, let's, let's assume he goes to his dad. He says, dad, it's dark, it's loud in here, can you hold me? Now, as long as he is a child, Parker's a child, that works. When he gets to this age, something's wrong. Are you with me? Now... <laughs> Apart from the size, at the end of the day, it doesn't change what his dad will do for him because his dad loves him. But he's not going to pick him up. You're too big. <laughs> but Parker, he's. Three. I want to pick him up. I want to hold him. He's my son. And it, there's nothing he won't do. Now, let's, let's take it one step further. You know, if Parker would have come to me in front of all the church and say, Daddy, can I sleep in the house tonight? <laughs> all of you would say, what in the world is going on at the Edwards house? <laughs> can I sleep in the house tonight? He, he would never do that. That's dumb. When we get home, he gets out the car. He walks to the door. He doesn't ask, can I go in? Can I please come in the house? Father, please. He doesn't do that. That's stupid. Can I use that word? It's stupid. It's dumb. He doesn't come to me and say, dad, I'd like to eat food tonight. Can I please eat food? If he did that in public, someone would call child services on me. This three-year-old boy asks his dad, could he eat food tonight? Are you with me? It's, It's not logical. And yet, that's how the church has taught it. We must always ask God for every single thing. And yet, there's some things you just don't ask for. You're a son. You are, a, I'll say this, you're a daughter of the most high God. You don't go to him and ask, oh God, can I please be healed? Are you crazy? <laughs> Anymore than night Parker would come to me and say, can I sleep in the house tonight? That is the most craziest logic I've ever thought. And, and yet that's how the church has taught it. Let's ask God for healing. He's a child. You are a child. <laughs> you are, you are sons of the, you're in the son of the most high God. And we talk about the payment Jesus made, but let's look at the family relationship. There is nothing that your heavenly father wouldn't do for you. He loves you. And he proved it by sending his only son to the cross so that you could be in him. Now, when it comes to your needs, let's talk about needs. Let's look at this. Matthew 26. Let's read the Sermon on the Mount first so you can see how he uses father in terms of your needs. Watch this. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly what? Notice he didn't say yet God feeds them. Because when it comes to your needs, he doesn't want you to see God. When it comes to your needs, see your what? Your father. Your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, notice... God clothes. Who clothes the grass of the field? It's not Father anymore. You know why? Because grass and you have no relation. (laughs) Are you with me? When God creates the world, it's God. But when it comes to your needs, it's Father. Are you with me? Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Where will we go? God, what's going to happen? God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, Lord, where do we go? Don't ask yourself these dumb questions. Why? Because after all these things, the Gentiles are seeking those things. People who don't have a heavenly father are asking those questions. You are not like the world. We are not like the world. We don't have to say, "Oh God, please open a new location for us." Oh God, please supply all our needs. You know what? <laughs> because, for or because, you're heavenly. What? Father, Father. Oh, come on, one more time. Because what? You're heavenly. Who? Father. Father yes. knows that you need all these things. Yes, he does. you <laughs> are mm-hmm. not talking about God anymore. Now we're talking about who? Father. Father. He knows you need these things. Parker would never ask me, can I please stay in the the house tonight? I never asked my parents. If I had thought about it, I would have done it to be funny. And I would have done it in high school. Like, can I please stay at home tonight, you know, (laughs) just to be funny. But the craziness of that question makes everyone in here laugh any more than asking our Heavenly Father, Lord, can you please open somewhere else for us to go? Oh, Lord, can you please? It's crazy. (laughs) Oh, God, can you please heal me today? That's crazy. You are his son. You are in his son. And you know what? We'll break it. You are his daughters. How much more? Watch this. But seek first the what? Of who? God. Wow. When it comes to royalty, he he differentiates. Again, everything that speaks to your needs, father. Everything that speaks of kingdom and titles is God. Because when the world looks at you, they don't see a father. They see God. But once they come into the fold, they don't see God anymore. Now they see who? Father. Are you with me? I'm telling you, for every need you have, you have a father. For every need you have, you have a father. And you don't have to ask him. You come to him and say, hey, I'm hungry. (laughs) Hey, I'm not feeling well. Hey, this bothers me. Hey, I'm not understanding all this. And you're not gonna get God, you're gonna get father. Oh man. seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Look at the second time it appears in Matthew chapter seven. The second time he talks about needs. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Parker comes to me and asks me for candy all the time, and I have to start. Wait a second, you had candy earlier. <laughs> now keep in mind he's still a child. But one day he will mature and become an older son. Are you with me? I'll show you the difference between that in a moment. But he says, Ask it'll be given to you, seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. For everyone who asks, receives. Not most of the people who ask, receive. Everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. Or oh, what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then being evil, and evil right here is imperfect. If you then being imperfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your who? Your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. When you ask for bread, you being, when, you're, when your children ask you for bread, you being imperfect, give them bread. You give them food. You give them things that they'll like. How much more? Much more. That word, much more, it always implies grace because it appears in Romans chapter 5, five times. Much more. Much more. How much more will your heavenly Father give you? Good things to everyone who asks. Are you with me? Now, it seems like, well, Matthew, you just said we don't have to ask some things. We don't have to. You're right. But again, I'm trying to bring us to a place where you say, look, when you're a child, you ask. When you're a son, you don't have to ask anymore. I'm serious. In fact, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Can I just explain it now? Oh, it was the next verse. Never mind. Can you drop the volume just a hair? This is ringing up here. Thank you. Galatians chapter 4 says this, now what's the difference? You just said you don't have to ask, now you're saying ask, let me show you the difference, okay? Galatians chapter four says this, the Apostle Paul says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, all right, where is it? does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Now watch this, the word for child is the word nepios. Can you say nepios? nepios? Nepios, it's the Greek word, nepios, all right? The heir, the one who is inheriting everything, the one who has ownership of everything, the one who will literally do nothing but receive everything. He is no different from a slave, as long as he is a nepios, as long as he is a child, even though he's master of all of it. Now watch this, in the church what's happened is this, there's a lot of children but not a lot of sons, okay? As a child you can ask, as a child you can ask, but you know what, eventually you get to the point you stop asking and you start maturing. You start realizing, I don't have to ask for everything. God will give it to me because I'm his son. Likewise, the same for you. Some things we just don't have to ask for anymore because you know what? You know I am a mature son of God. I am mature and I'll use it. I'm a mature daughter of the most high. Hey, look, I don't have to ask anymore. My heavenly father loves me. Are you with me? So what happens? He says this. You're no different from a slave or from a servant. Then he says, verse two but is under, the guard, under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, nepios, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Notice the word sons is not nepios, it's huyos. Say huyos. Huyos, huyos is the word for sons. Now, what's the difference again? Children are small, young. Sons are bigger, mature. Parker will never drive my car as long as he's three. He won't drive it when he turns 10. <laughs> he may not drive it when he turns 16. All right. But when he matures, then he will drive the car. The car belongs to him. The house belongs to him. But he'll never get it until he matures. As long as he is a child, he'll never get it. And the problem with the church is this, because we have not been preaching the true gospel, because we've not been preaching the true gospel, we have kept people young. We've kept God's people small, immature. We've kept them as children of God, not sons. And because they're children, they haven't been able to receive their inheritance. Are you with me? And God is not crazy. God's not stupid. He's not going to give you the keys to the car when you're young. There's a lot of things you're going, God, I see all of this in your word and I can't get it. Why not? And the Lord is saying, because if I gave it to you, there's no telling what you do with it. <laughs> I need you to mature. I need you to grow up. And in a church that talks a lot about the love of God, right? A lot about the love of God. Do you know that Paul says in first Corinthians maturity comes out of love? He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. But when I became a mature, I put away childish things. Right now we see through a glass that's dim and dark, but then we will see Him as He is. And you know what chapter that's found in? 1 Corinthians 13 that talks all about the love of God. The more you see, it was intentional. <laughs> we talk a lot about the love of God because I want everyone in here to grow up knowing, God loves me. It's only when you know that God loves you you begin to mature. It's only when you know that God loves you that you begin to mature. How did God mark Jesus' ministry? And prove that it was really true Not by performing the miracles through him He said we all think the miracles prove that God was with him You know in the end times people will do miracles Jesus said one day they'll get to heaven and say We cast out demons We did all these things in your name He'll still say I didn't know who you were Miracles don't prove that God has signed off on your ministry They don't They're good but they don't prove it You know what proves it God said out loud on three different occasions This is my beloved Son This is the son that I love, and I am well pleased in him. What if he doesn't do one thing right? He said it before he started his ministry. This is my beloved son, and I am pleased in you. And I'm telling you by the grace of God, whether you do one thing right, one thing wrong, when you leave this place, you are God's beloved children. You are God's beloved children. You are his beloved sons. And in you, God is pleased. Are you with me? I'm telling you, there are some things you don't have to to ask for it. Because when the appointed time comes, when you mature, the inheritance will be handed to you. The inheritance will be handed to us. The inheritance belongs to us because we are maturing in him. Notice one more time, verse 6. He says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, or father in the English. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. As long as people are preaching and teaching what to do, what not to do, as long as people are preaching and teaching uh, 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 the law, the Ten Commandments, this idea of a trade-off mentality, as long as preachers continue to remove Jesus from their messages, they're only producing slaves. They're only producing servants. I'll say this. I, I heard last night I couldn't go to sleep. So I sat up in bed and I tried to turn on Netflix and Netflix wasn't working. I don't know why. So I opened up YouTube. And on YouTube popped up a sermon from someone who's preaching, uh, who just preached a recent sermon. I won't say any names because so, it's irrelevant. You don't need to know. Very well-known pastor. And he started preaching a sermon. And I said, I'm going to listen to this guy. So I listened to him 30 minutes into 47 minutes. in the name of Jesus wasn't mentioned once. At the end of the sermon, they gave an altar call. And I thought, this is so trademark of what we talk about all the time. And I'm telling you, this man has influence. This man has favor. This man has people running to his men. And I just said, Lord, I don't understand. I'll be vulnerable. I don't understand. I feel like the vegan restaurant (laughs) surrounded by McDonald's, Wendy's and Burger King. (laughs) And I say that graciously. Don't get me wrong. If you eat that, I'm just, but I mean, hear me out. I feel like we're clean juice. (laughs) I do. And I told Christina this a while back. I feel like we're this healthy restaurant saying, come eat. Come take the bread of life. Come take more of Jesus. And then you see these people, this billion dollar company right outside, right across the street, and they're giving away burgers that aren't even real food. It's like, how? (laughs) How? How do you connect the two? And you know what? You just take a step back and you say, you know what, Lord, if you give me the platform, you know what I'll do. That makes me angry. Give me the platform. I preach Jesus louder. Mature me. Father, I'm telling you, increase this church. Give us the favor we need so that we can proclaim Jesus louder than the people who refuse to say his name. I'm serious, and it made me angry, and I thought, man, this man has influence, this man has favor, this man has, I mean, charisma. People are running to his ministry. They love this man's ministry, and yet he wouldn't say the name of Jesus once because the whole sermon was really good. It was a good message, but the whole message was about me. The whole message was about how to be a better person. And even though he referenced you have to trust God, but he wouldn't say Jesus once. He kept saying God. He wouldn't say Father. He said God, 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 God. And that's a clear sign to me that you don't see him as your heavenly Or even if you do, you're not there yet. Every time you pray, it's God somewhere out there. It's not Father. Every time you pray, you have to look up, not realizing that he's inside you. Are you with me? There's a distance that's been created. And I'm telling you, oh man, by the grace of God, my, I'm telling you, my heart is that when you walk out of this place, that you say, man, he is my father. He's my father. And I don't have to ask for these things. He is my father. Dad, I'm hungry. <laughs> Dad, I'm not feeling good. I'm serious. Be real. Be open. You're my heavenly father. Are you with me? Anyways, can I show you a few more real quick? Watch this. In Genesis chapter 42. Now, let me let me tell you the story real quick. The backdrop. I heard the Lord say this. I'm going to close in just a moment. You can turn to Genesis 42. I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. I'm going to tell you a story of a man named Jacob. Can you say Jacob? Jacob? Now, when I heard the Lord say all these things are against me, I smiled because I knew exactly what the Lord was saying. OK, I knew exactly what he was saying. So I went back to try and study the story a little bit more. But the more I studied, the harder it got to get it. And I said, Lord, I don't get it. And the Lord said, because you're looking at Joseph, I pointed you to Jacob his father. So I had to completely throw most of my notes out for this Sunday and start fresh. And the Lord said, son, I pointed you to Jacob. Now, when you look at the life of Jacob, I want you to know some things real quick before I show you what Jacob says. Jacob, when he was born, the Bible says he and his brother were fighting in his mother's womb. She had a very rough pregnancy and she said, my God was going on. And the Lord said, there are two nations that are fighting within you right now. When the children were born, Esau came out first. He was hairy, so they called him Esau. He was red and hairy. They said, we'll call him Esau. When Jacob was born, after he was born, he reached out and grabbed the heel of his brother. They said, call him Jacob, which means supplanter. He'll spend the rest of his life always trying to pull someone else away. All right. Now, let's fast forward. Once they're born. All right. Jacob and Esau, Jacob uh, wants to stay in the house. He's really soft. His skin is really soft. Esau is a man's man. So he goes outside. Right. (laughs) And he, he becomes a hunter. One day Esau comes in starving and he says, oh my gosh, I'm going to die of food. And Jacob has a pot of stew. He's a chef. He says, I'll give you some stew if you give me your birthright. He says, fine, it's yours. What's a birthright to me if I'm I'm dead? So he gives him the stew. He takes the birthright. They move on in life. After that happens, Jacob, I'm sorry, not Jacob, Isaac, their father, goes somewhere and does something. All right, what does he do? He goes to a city that he's not supposed to be at. And while he's there, all of a sudden they have a, wait, am I mixing the story? No, no, that's what it is. All of a sudden, the famine hits after the birthright is gone. The famine hits and they go to Gerar. While they're in Gerar, Isaac lies and says, my wife, Rachel, is not really my wife. She's my sister. You remember that story? Just like his father, Abraham. He lies. But who is the mother or the, who, who is the mother that they saw their, husband, their father disown? It was Rachel, Jacob's mother. All right. Jacob and Esau's mother. So he disowns her. and says, you know, this is not this is not my wife. So they take her. And the Lord protects her, and finally the king looks out the window and says, Clearly, this is not your sister, it's your wife. What if someone had slept with her? You would have brought a curse down on us. Take your wife and go. So they leave. But Jacob and Esau saw this happen. They saw the whole thing happen. All right? Actually, I'm sorry, it wasn't Rachel, it was Rebecca. That's what it was, right? Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. Yeah, it was Rebecca. So at the end of the story, at the end of that, we fast forward. All of a sudden, we see Jacob always trying to cheat his brother. On the day that his father's eyes grow dim, most of us know it, but on the day his father's eyes grow dim, his father's very, very old at this point, the Bible says, he looks at Esau and says, he turns Esau and says, go bring me some game so I can be happy and I'll give you the blessing that belongs to the firstborn. He goes out to do it and Jacob's mother says, let's deceive your father so that you can have the birthright, not the birthright, you can have the blessing of the firstborn. So he deceives his father, he receives the blessing of the firstborn and his life is marked by the name that they've given him. They called him supplanter. Now he has spent the rest of his life always deceiving people. Are you with me? So he deceives his father. Once Esau comes in and realizes the birthright is gone, he says, I'm gonna kill my brother. And he finds comfort in knowing he will kill his brother once their father's dead. So his mother loves him more. She says, go to my my brother's house, Laban, and stay there. So he goes out there and he finds Leah and Rachel. I got the name wrong earlier, Leah and Rachel. He works 14 years, seven for one, he gets cheated. He works seven for the other, and then he finally gets the woman he wants, but he ends up with Rachel and Leah. They have many, many sons, all the way up to about 12 sons, about 11 sons at this point. After they have 11 sons, the last one born is Joseph, the one we love a lot. Sorry? Not yet. Not yet. Benjamin wasn't born. Was he born at that point? Genesis 35, Benjamin was born. So he had 12 sons. Now, after the 12 sons are born, Esau, his brother who wants to kill him, says, I'm coming. And they get word that Esau's coming and he's angry. He's got 400 armed men with him. So Jacob gets terrified. He cries out to God. He says, oh God, you said you'd be good to me. Oh God, you said if I left, you would bring me back. And when I went back and I said, let me find all the interactions between the supplanter and God himself. As soon as he deceived his father, lied to his father, stole the blessing of the firstborn, God's first words to him were, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will take you out. I will bring you back. I will bless you. And he gave them the vision of the ladder coming from heaven to earth, a picture of Jesus Christ, showing us that the foundation for everything God will give us would be the son that God would send. Now, if you ask me, God did the wrong thing for the wrong brother. He did the right thing for the wrong brother. Jacob lied. Jacob cheated. Jacob stole, and yet God gives him a revelation of His son, and God says, "I'm going to bless you." Jacob wakes up and says, "If you keep your word, I'll come back and give you a tithe of everything I have." Fast forward about 20 years. Now. Jake his, his brother Esau is coming with 400 armed men and he's terrified. So he cries out to God. He says, oh, God, you said if I if I did this and I came back, you would you would be good to me in the new King James. You would treat me well. And he says, oh, Lord, I need you to be good right now. OK, so he sends out all his family in droves, in droves with gifts. And he tells them, when you encounter Esau, tell him this is from your brother, Jacob. This is from your and you keep giving gifts. And if we see that, the, that the first company is is killed and annihilated, we'll all turn and run. But he sends everyone out in droves. Finally, he comes down to his two wives and he says, you two go in front of me. I'm going by myself. <laughs> all right. What a man. So he's standing here, but he's been, he's been deceiving his whole life. And finally, when he sends out his brother, or he sends out his wives, he stands there and he makes camp that night. And that night, all of a sudden, a man, capital M, comes to him and begins to wrestle with him. And he wrestles with him all night. And finally, the man, which is the angel of the Lord, finally he says, look, I have to leave. I can't fight with you anymore. And he realizes that he's not winning over Jacob. Really interesting. And Jacob says, I won't let you leave until you bless me. So he punches him in the hip. His hip comes out of joint and Jacob is still fighting. And he says, fine, you want a blessing? I'll give you a blessing. What's your name? My name is Jacob, one who's always supplanting. He says, fine, this is the blessing. I'll no longer call you supplanter. I'll call you one who fights with the Lord, Israel. Now, for years, I always thought it was someone who fights against the Lord, someone who fights with God. I'm always fighting. You know, my wife always fights with me. Thank you for not saying amen. (laughs) One who fights with the Lord. And then I was watching a movie one day and they said, it's not just one who fights with the Lord. It's one who fights with the Lord. It's one who says the Lord is fighting with me. When we go out, I don't fight by myself. The Lord fights with me. And he said, this is the blessing I'll give you from now on. Everyone will call you someone who God fights with you. Oh, man. So, oh, oh man. So now his name has been changed. He's no longer someone deceiving his whole life. Now he is someone who is saying, hey, look, God fights with me. Now let's fast forward. Joseph is taken into custody by his brothers. They sell him on the slave market. Fast forwarding the life of Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph, which was about 23 years. He's standing in front of Pharaoh. A famine hits, and Jacob thinks his son is dead. He realizes, he thinks, his, his realization is my son is dead. On top of that, they come back and say, look, we went and we tried to buy grain from Egypt, but the man who sold us the grain, who's over all the bread, he is the bread of life in a sense. The one who did it, they don't know it's Joseph, their brother yet. They said, the one who sold us the grain said, we cannot come back without our brother. Oh, and by the way, he kept our, our, our brother Simeon as well. Now from Jacob's perspective, a famine is hit, his favorite son is dead, and now his other son Simeon is being held in prison in Egypt. And the one who's selling bread to everyone in the midst of the famine said, I won't let you buy any more bread unless you come back with your youngest brother, Benjamin, who is now the favorite son to his father of about 23 years. And the father looks and says, wait a second. One son dead, one son in prison. Now you want my youngest son or else we're we'll all starve to death. And then he cries out, everything is against me. <laughs> Look at this. Genesis 42, verse 25, verse 29. Then they went to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said, We are honest men. We're not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. That was Simeon. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone and bring your youngest brother to me who is Benjamin I shall so I shall know that you are not spies but that you are honest men I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack and when they and their father saw the bundles of money they were afraid now watch this 36 and Jacob said to, said to them Jacob, their father said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Now, listen, we know the ending of the story, but I want you to sit back for a moment and see it from his perspective. See it from his perspective. The beauty of, of grace, John, who was the apostle of love, all right, his gospel portrays the grace of Jesus like an eagle. He sees everything from above. God sees everything from above. God saw long before we did, the time will come when they'll say you have 30 days. So the Lord began to prepare us for this moment. Are you with me? Every problem you have ever encountered, the Lord began to, he began to prepare you for that moment long before. All right. We don't see from above. We see things straight ahead. Grace at times will lift you up and show you from this side. But many times the Lord wants to mature you even more. So he doesn't let you see from above. He lets you see straight on. And he says, now, how will you approach this? It's not going to change what God does for you. It will never change his answer for you. But he wants to see, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, all these things are against me? Or are you going to say, wait a second, I have a promise from the most high God. You changed my name. You changed my name. My name is, you fight with me. My name is, I am someone who fights with the Lord. So the question is, how will you approach this problem? When we left to exalt, the Lord said this to me, and I shared that word at to exalt. He said this, I am the alpha and I am the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. If you approach this the right way, son, your ending will be greater than your beginning. You only give me glory when I open a door for you. But will you give me glory when I shut the door and acknowledge that it was me that shut the door for you? All right. I'm tell, and it, it, that was what he told us there again. Now we find ourselves here again. Wait a second. Lord, what happened? 30, they said they would never give us 30 days. All these things are against me. And I was at work and I wasn't saying that I was at work and I heard the Lord say, all these things are against me. And in that moment, I believe with all my heart, I I believe I could see my heavenly father smile and wink. All these things are against me. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? You see, I'm not going to show you all these verses because I don't want to confuse. We're almost done. What he didn't know was the son he thought he lost and the son he thought was in prison were actually in Egypt living the best life that anyone on the face of the planet could live. And that son was saying, my father is still alive. My younger brother is still alive. All my brothers don't know who I am. Great, let's keep it a secret, everybody. Let's get them here. Let's bring the whole family here so that they can enjoy the best of the best of the best with me so they can live the best life of anyone else in the world. But all the Egyptians who worked for it, who deserved it, who, have, who should have the titles and positions, I don't care. This is my family. I need my family here with me. And you are his brother. Jesus is your older brother. And it looks like everything is against me. But the Lord is smiling and saying, yeah, yeah, everything's against you. <laughs> everything is for you. Everything is for you. And why is everything for you? Because you are his son. You're not children. You are a son. So let's act like sons. Well, Lord, I don't see the provision. I don't see the supply. Who cares? (laughs) You aren't going to supply it in the first place. You could never supply it on your own. So who cares? (laughs) I'm a son. I don't have to ask for God to move. He's going to move. I'm just going to have fun in the in-between. Amen. Amen. We are sons of God. Oh, man, we got to bring this to a close. I'm sorry. He says, all these things are against me, but everything is actually for him. And I'm telling you, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I know where I'm at this morning. I know my job. I know my church. I know all these things. I know it my whole life. I know me. This spoke volumes to me. But wherever you're at, even if you're not here at that place this morning, I'm telling you this morning, receive a sword. Take the sword home with you. Because when it looks like everything is really against you, I'm telling you, God is working everything for your good. God is working everything for your good. Joseph could have said on the slave market completely naked with nothing, no money, no family, no title, no nothing. My God, all these things are against me. But what he didn't know was that God was working everything for him. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how low you go, take the sword this morning. All these things are working for you. God is not the author of our problems, but he is the author author who turns everything around for you. And everyone said, let me close with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that some things work together. Is that what that says? We know that most things work together. We know that what? All All things. things, all things. I'm telling you, stand on this word this morning. All, all things. If you get nothing else from me this morning, walk away saying all things, not some, not most, all things work together. It does not say God is the author of all my problems, but he will be the one who makes every single thing in my life, all things work together. The word work together, that phrase work together in the Greek is the word synergy, which is where we get our word symmetrical from. When I went and looked it up, we get the word symmetrical from this word. You know, when something is symmetrical, you know what it It means that they're exactly the same. God is saying, hey, look, everything is going to work together. My purpose, my grace, my call on you, everything negative, I'm going to turn it and make it line up with exactly with what I want for you. I didn't put you in that position, but I'm going to make that thing look like I put you there. My God is going to, <laughs> is going to, make, it's going to look like I put you there because I'll be so gracious to you. All things work together. They cooperate for the good, for good. Not for evil, but for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, Matthew, it's those who love God. It's those who love God. Hey, what is love? Not that we love, but that he loved. <laughs> and you know what? Two verses later, we love because he first loved. So those who love God is really those who are receiving God's love for them. And the more you're in a place that says God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, you are loving him more subconsciously from the inside out, which is true love from the inside out. So God is making everything work together for you. Just stay in a place where you believe God loves you. I'm telling you, this is not for children. This is for sons. Are you with me? And then verse 29, for whom he foreknew. Who is that? That's all of us. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And I'll close with this. conformed to the image of his son. The image of his son. And when I saw this, I thought, Lord, I can't. What does that verse have to do with anything? But I felt so impressed from the Lord. Put that verse there. Put it there. Conform to the image of his son. Let me ask you this. Is his son sick? No. Is his son poor? No. Then you should be conformed to the image of his son. Right. Everything that you're going through right now. Everything, every mountain, every giant that you're facing right now, all of it, God did not put that mountain there. God did not put that giant in the valley with you. But God will make sure that the mountain is removed, that the giant is slain. But as he does it, he's making everything work together for you. See, I'm the type, I say, Lord, move the giant early. He says, no, I want the giant's friends to come with his wealth, so that when I remove the giant, you get his wealth. Are you with me? But Lord, I want the giant out of the way now. Just, just wait. <laughs> just wait. Okay, just wait. I'm working this thing for you. Are you with me? Just be patient. He said, but Lord, Abraham could have complained. I mean, he didn't, but Abraham on the way up his mountain. I'm closing. I'm so sorry. Abraham on his way up the mountain could have said, oh God, I don't want to kill my son. Don't make me do it. And the old time the Lord was going, I want to show you Jesus. I want to show you Jesus. Just come, just come. And when he gets up, there, he pulls the knife back, but thank God he didn't hesitate. And at the mountain, he pulled his knife back and he was on his way down. And the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, stop. And he stopped and he saw, it was the ram. And you know what Jesus said? He rejoiced to see my day because where the Temple Mount is today, my God, we were there where the Temple Mount is today. From that same place where he lifted his hand to kill his son, he looked and he saw on a lower, not even a mountain, a mound, on a hill. On that mountain, he looked down and saw God will take his son to the lowest place and there God will stay his son for all of us. My God, what what blessing he could have missed out on. What favor he could have missed out on. But you know what? He said I'm just going to be patient. <laughs> I'm just going to be patient. God is bound by his word. The Bible says in Hebrews that you know he didn't waver in faith because he knew even if I bring the knife down, God will raise him from the dead. Well, what if you have nowhere to go? Even if we have to shut the doors, God will open it up somewhere else. It will be greater than it was before. What if the worst case scenario happens? Then God will raise it from the dead. My God will bring it back. Are you with me? Because everything is working together for your good. Not just to bring you back to 100%, but to bring it 120% more. Everything you're going through is God saying, I'm trying to make you better than you were before. My God, just be patient. (laughs) Just be patient. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, man, we could keep going, but I love you too much. So I'm going to let you go. It's Mother's Day. Mothers, I hope you've been blessed. I trust you have been blessed. And you know what? I believe you will be blessed. And everyone said, Praise Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for your word. Father, we thank you for the comfort and the peace and the joy we have in you. You have changed our name. We are your sons. We are in the Son. And Father, for all the mothers and all the women in here, we, they are daughters of the Most High God, daughters of Sarah. So this morning, Father, we rest knowing that we are sons and we rest knowing that some things we don't have to ask for it. Some things we just no, No, you are our father. You know, our request before we even ask it. So this morning, we thank you that you are our heavenly father and you love us dearly. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you're facing a giant, you're looking at a mountain. You don't know how you're going to get around it. You don't know where, what the Lord is doing. If you're here this morning, if you would, just whatever you have, if you just lift your hand right now, just lift your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I speak peace over the hearts and the minds over everyone that's lifted their hand this morning. I speak your peace that passes understanding over the hearts and minds of everyone here this morning. And Father, I ask that by your grace, even as Elijah requested that the eyes, their eyes, his eyes would be open. Elisha requested that his servants eyes be open. Father, I ask that you would open their eyes this morning, that they would begin to see that there is more for them than there are against them. Father, that you would give them that favor to open their eyes and see that there is more for us than there are against us. And there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. We never were to walk on the battlefield in the first place. You are our heavenly David. You slay every giant. You move every mountain. So this morning, Father, we rest in your love for us. We rest in your love for us. And we thank you that our position, our title, is not in the field. Our position is in the house. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We belong to you. We are your sons. In the Son. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
0: Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte@gmail.com, at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.